Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. Great. I'm one of those people actually that finds worship quite difficult, actually corporate worship. I'm often there standing in the back of my hands, uh, you know, right by my side. But today uh, I realised how much I'd missed it and I really loved it. So thank you worship team. That was just a real blessing to me. Uh, it's great to be here. It's an honour to be here. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for inviting me here. Uh, it really is. Uh, can I just honour Jim? I just think he's a great leader, a great pastor. And, uh, yeah. who, who here thinks being a church leader is easy? Come on. No, none of you. Who thinks it got easier during the pandemic? Of all the difficult jobs in the pandemic, I did find myself thinking, man, I'm so glad I'm not a church leader right now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's tough. Uh, it's really tough. And for Tim as well and other elders here. And final question. It is a difficult question here. Who's going to commit to praying for Jim every week? Great. Jim, turn around. Just be encouraged. That's wonderful. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, why don't you stand up now and just... Oh, you can't, can you? I'll do praying for you. Okay, Lord, we just uh, pray for this church. We pray for Jim. We pray for Tim and the other elders and the other leaders and the worship leaders and the tech team and the, everyone else, the drummers. and the, every, Just bless this church, Lord. Bless us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all it's done. And bless it, Lord, we, we pray. Amen. Uh, great. Well, listen, uh, love thy neighbour. I'm talking on love thy neighbour, in case you haven't worked it out. It's on the screen behind me. And I'm going to just, in terms of the talk today, I'm going to just introduce Hope Into Action a little bit. Uh, some of you may know a lot about Hope Into Action. Some of you may know nothing. Uh, so I'll do that. Then I'm just going to do, give you two thoughts around love thy neighbour. Uh, and then I'm going to return and try and land it with a bit of the word, a couple of stories, and land it uh, back in the words. That, does that sound okay? So Hope Interaction is a network we, we uh, um, franchise out, including we franchised out to Hope Interaction Mid-Sussex, who were started here. And um, we've got some great people in the network. Um, and one of, you know, I don't know if you, I'm a great fan of Bear Grylls, but he, I love him. He's a Christian. He's out there. He does stuff. And they say that every man... Uh, wants to be Bear Grylls and every woman wants to marry Bear Grylls. Uh, we, we have our own Bear Grylls at the Hope Interaction Network. He's Nigel. And um, <laughs> what a great guy he is. Uh, I spent, and I know his kids here, that must really make them feel cringeworthy, but um, I spent an hour trying to keep up with him on the bike this morning thinking, I really wish I was a bit more like Nigel as I'm cycling up these hills. Uh, and great to have Laura as well, leading us in worship. Laura is a great empowerment worker for Hope Interaction. On um, a serious note, Nigel really blesses Hope Interaction. He always encourages, he does such a great job and he does it so well and embodies everything Hope Interaction uh, really should be. So if you don't know about Hope Interaction, Hope Interaction... Uh, uh, believes that everyone in their community uh, should have a right to a home. Everyone that's homeless is a tragedy. And we believe that the church, the local church, every local church has the power itself to house the homeless. Uh, why can't that be part of our worship? Uh, why shouldn't it be? Uh, we believe it can be. We believe there's enough financial resources, enough social capital, enough spiritual capital, 
and uh, it should and it will, I'm sure, become normal one day for churches. It's just what you expect a church to be doing. If you don't know where it began, uh, I kind of sometimes tell this story, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but uh, there I was one day, I'd kind of, uh, I moved to this place called Peterborough. Why would anyone go to Peterborough? I was there, and I'm going, God, what is the point of, of me being here? And frankly, Lord, you know, I know you must need Christians in this city for some reason, but I can't work out what it was. I just spent nine years overseas where I've been doing overseas relief and development and you know, literally feeding the hungry, literally clothing the naked. And I was like, Lord, how do those verses from Isaiah 58 apply to me in this city? Please show me. And I was kind of like a fish out of water. And then one day I'm on the playground and I'm playing with my daughter and uh, you know, it gets a bit boring, doesn't it? So I, I go and speak, see a guy on the bench. You've all seen him before. I got speaking to him and said, tell me what your story is. His story I'd just begun to hear about and you guys will know it very, very well and still continues to occur thousands of times every year in this country. So that morning, he'd been in prison, HMP Peterborough. He'd left full of determination, full of hope, a fresh start. He's going to make it good this time. As he's walking through the prison gate, the prison officer says to him, we'll see you back here in three months' time, mate. Any sense of self-esteem, hope crumbled. And I met him at 11 o'clock. You get given some money as you come out of the prison. He had already spent that money on a bottle of something pretty strong and was halfway through it by the time I met him. So I said, well, don't worry, I, you know, I can help you. I can find you somewhere to go. Where do you, where, you, know, where do you want to go? So I, I phoned up all the hostels I knew in Peterborough. None would take him. Too old, don't take ex-offenders. So I said, well, don't worry, where were you before you went into prison? He said, I was in Cambridge. I said, why don't you go back to Cambridge? He said, if I go back to Cambridge, I will end up surrounded by the same old people doing the same old things in the same old hostel, and I can assure you I'll end up back inside in three months' time. So given those choices, he'd actually made a fairly rational one. What was he supposed to do? Because as he left the prison gate, and I probably can't fully empathise with this, but as he left the prison gate, he had no one to go to. Had no one to go to. So there's a depth of relational poverty there that I can probably never empathise with. And so his physical poverty, where he was, his homelessness, was actually a function of his relational poverty because he had no one to go to. It's a relational poverty that underlies the physical poverty of homelessness. Now, just look around this room. I know this is tiny (laughs) compared to what you used to, but there's so much relational richness in this room. And how do we respond to that man or that woman or that female uh, who is in that relational poverty, who's homeless? They may be in an abusive relationship but can't get out. Well, you you know, the, the, the guy from the drinking agency may come along to him and say, you need to sort out your drink issues. And they'd be right. The guy from the you know, debt agency may say, you need to sort out your debt. The guy from probation would say, you know, you need to sort out your crime. The, uh, the person from food agency, you need some food. The evangelist comes along and says, you know Jesus. And all of those things are right, of course. And Isaiah 58 says this. Uh, we need to release them from every yoke. Every yoke. Because actually, if we want that person to flourish into this full sense of humanity, the fullness of what God intended him to be, Actually, all those things need to be addressed at the same time. And so at Hope Into Action, what we aim for, what we pray for, is you move into our home, we surround you with rich prayer and relationships from our local church, and everything that oppresses you, the drink, the debt, the drugs, the whatever it may be, what do you see as your needs, and can we release you from those so that we can all flourish? And within that, critical to us, is a sensitive desire for us to share good news and for we are spiritual beings and there are 3,000 housing charities in this country 
None of them talk about Jesus. So one of, one of the things that struck me when I came to this country, where, where the secularization of outreach, the secularization of these Christian organizations that started passionate about telling people about Jesus, and that has slowly just seeped out, and you're kind of left with the church. So when we started Open to Action, how can we start an organization that never, ever, ever loses its spiritual edge? Because Jesus said, I've come to release the oppressed and proclaim the good news. Not 50% of that. So we want to hold those things tightly. Well, if we always open a house in partnership with the church every single time, then we will always be getting some spiritual input into the lives of our tenants. And critically, over time, what we'll see is a church slowly, slowly moving back into the center of caring for the homeless. We are, we are missiologically, theologically so well-placed to care for the homeless in our country. Uh, the penultimate command of Christ was look after this vulnerable woman. The first thing the nation church did in John was to house a vulnerable woman. He took her into his home. That's what they did in the early days. They just, you know, so we're just reinventing the wheel. We're not doing anything new. And uh, I'm sure God loves it when he... And so what I find really interesting, I find this really significant. What this church has done... Actually, there's so many good stories that come out through Hope Interaction through this church. I could spend a long time talking about them, but one thing I just think is really interesting is uh, that the house whose address I forget, which was being run by the YMCA, is now being run by this church for the homeless. And I just think that's so good. I think that's good news. I just think spiritually, now that's where God wants it to be in the body of the church, cared for spiritually. The tenants there cared for and loved spiritually as well as physically, emotionally, spirit, uh, psychology and everything else. Does that all make sense? Great. So uh, I'm going to talk about love your neighbor a bit, as I've said. Uh, I'm also going to try and run through uh, today this theme of mutuality. Mutuality is a difficult word, difficult word to understand, um, but I'm going to keep referring to it. And uh, actually, when you look at it, look for it, you find it all over the Gospels. Um, but that's another sermon in itself. But I will pick up on that. As we love our neighbour, let us do it with mutuality. I'll try and unpack that a bit more. Next click. Uh, this picture here, I love because I think it shows hope into action and shows a sense of mutuality. We are all born equal, fundamental tenant of the Christian faith, and we come alongside our tenants looking to learn, to love, to be with them, uh, them to bless us. Hopefully, if we're really lucky, we might bless them. A sense of safety, a sense of warmth, a sense of joy in that house. Um, hopefully it's not obvious uh, who's who. Uh, so one more click down. This is where Hope Into Action are. We began uh, 11 years ago, and uh, we're now in partnership with 72 churches, 90 homes, 27 towns, 250-plus tenants are in our homes tonight. I think it's a bit less than that, actually, but we've got capacity for 250-plus tenants um, uh, so, yeah, and if you're interested, uh, next click. Uh, this is what over the years we've picked up in terms of our, some of our awards, which I think are great endorsements. We have won Christian awards, but actually I've just put up the secular, pe secular bodies that have uh, recognized our work, your work. Uh, a right-wing think tank, CSJ, a left-wing newspaper, The Guardian, NHS, a research institute, the Homeless Link, which is a kind of third sector lead, leading infrastructure organization, um, and that's good news, isn't it? Because we've never lost, we, we've, never, we, we, we've never been ashamed of our faith. Uh, we've always maintained the church as central to what we do. And our faith can be palatable to these, these, these institutions around the world, which we love. So in a nutshell, that is Hope Into Action. Does that all kind of make sense? Great. Uh, just, uh, yeah. 
I'll leave that up there. So just two things I'd like to say about love your neighbour. And when I hear the words love my neighbour and we've all sat there and we've, we know that God loves the poor and we know there's a sort of duty on us to, to go out and share his love elsewhere. I've heard the phrase and I kind of sublimely interpret that as, Ed, you've been blessed, you are blessed to be a blessing. And by that, I'm very aware that I am, uh, you know, white, male, pale, and in my case, extremely stale. And uh, there's a sense of, I get that. I understand the privilege that comes to all those things. Jesus, when he said those words, love your enemy, he was male, but that's where the overlap ends. Actually, he was a subjugated man. He was a man that grew up and was living in occupied territory, ruled by foreign rulers who he and his, friend, you know, his, his community despised. He was disinherited. He had no levers of power at all. If the Roman soldier kicked him into a ditch, he would have been just another Jew in a ditch. He had no recourse in that situation. Distinct from Paul, who had a little bit of status and a little bit of power. Jesus was a refugee who fled a genocide and then came back as what's labelled a returnee refugee. So he's labelled as a returnee refugee in a back-end water of nowhere, an illegitimate child, no one's quite sure about his father, mother fell pregnant out of wedlock, etc. So when he says that, when he approaches those words, he approaches them as someone who was utterly disinherited, utterly dispossessed. And that has a slightly different meaning. And so as a white middle-class male who's mainly attended white middle-class churches most of my life, I've heard and interpreted those words through the psychology of my own experience and the experience people tell them to me. But if you were disinherited, for the disinherited, this is a radical message actually, those Roman soldiers love them. That's actually defiant. That's actually powerful. Uh, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Uh, wow, that's difficult. And it gives you enormous self-esteem. And if uh, uh, Howard Thurman, who was a black who grew up in the southern states of America in apartheid era, or you know, when they were highly oppressed, he was a great influence over Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, when Jesus said, the Father in heaven knows every hair on your head. He probably had meditated on that many a time. That's where his sense of self came from. Knowing that the heavenly Father knows every hair on my head. Knowing that every sparrow falls ground, my Father knows about it. And he cares and loves me. That's a powerful message for those we, who we're seeking to serve. Because what that says is, you have innate, undiminishable worth. And so when we say that message, when Jesus rather says that message, love your neighbor, it's a message for everyone. And it's a powerful message for the poor as well as someone who's male, pale, and stale like me. So that's my first point. Um, Jesus, the people who heard Jesus say that would have had a very different psychological makeup and it would have been a very, very different understanding for them. The second thing I just want to uh, say is just talk about the Me Too campaign because I think that's also about love your neighbor. And uh, as you know, the Me Too campaign was about uh, women standing up. I mean, you can interpret it lots of different ways, but women standing up, uh, declaring a right to control of their own bodies. And really, I think there was what I would call a whole realization in the world, across the world, Western worlds, all that women had gone through in different industries, obviously starting in the, the media industry or whatever it is, but you know, it's multiple industries. And there's a sense of this is not good enough. Uh, 
Actually, I would say, in Christian language, it was a call to repentance. A call to repentance where actually we go, no. As a man, we're all somehow, if we're really honest, culpable. And I, Ed Walker, need to improve my attitudes towards women. I have to, I've got daughters. I don't want them growing up in that world. I've got to fight for a better world for my daughters. A call to repentance, but not framed in Christian language or Christian packaging. You could argue it's a move of the Holy Spirit. What I think is interesting about this is I think our scriptures stand up to the scrutiny of the Me Too 21st century thinking. And I contrast that with, say, other religions' scriptures. I know a little bit about Islam. I spent three years working and living in Darfur. Uh, if I'd raped someone in Darfur, a female in Darfur, she would have needed four male witnesses even to get me to court. So essentially, I could do it with impunity. Uh, there's, stories, there's true stories in Saudi Arabia of a lady who has been raped, and this happens often. She gets stoned, he doesn't. Uh, th this is truth. Compare that with our ancient scriptures. In the sixth chapter of Genesis, the very you know, early, early scriptures, what caused the flood? Men taking women as their own. Men taking women as their own. It's the Me Too campaign, right? God was not happy about that, and he wanted that to change. That's what triggered God's anger, and that's what triggered uh, Noah's flood. Uh, there are three, maybe four, examples of sexual violence or rape in the Old Testament. I can't, I can't list them to you, but uh, what's interesting when you read them, two things are really interesting. One, there is no hint of blame towards the females anywhere. It's incredible. No one goes, yeah, she had it coming to her. Yeah, I know it's wrong, but she was dressed like that. There's none of that in the Bible, just not even a comma of it. Uh, it's, it's, I find it amazing, given how old those words are. That's the first thing. The second thing is, the retribution and the justice is squarely meted on the man. The men get it in response to that. And I find that really interesting as well. And so I think actually our scriptures hold on to this Me Too campaign, and it's all part of love our neighbor. And it's carried forward in Jesus' life, who from his birth to his death, he never once, as far as I can see, uh, there's not one comma of derogatory comment against females anywhere in the Gospels, which given it's a, written by four blokes, is a bit of a miracle. And um, the, the, you know, even in his stories, you find the women are always the heroines and the villains are always men. It's just every interaction he has with females. And he lashes out at men that have a go at women, as far as I can see. He prioritizes women over men the whole time. So the bleeding woman, he prioritized over the religious ruler. The crippled woman in Luke 13, he, he had a right go at the dude who ran the synagogue because it, you know, he didn't care the fact it was that Sabbath. So he's always juxtapositioned, or often juxtapositioned between women and men, and the women always come out on top, which I think is amazing. And I think Jesus stands up to the scrutiny of our Me Too campaigns. And actually, I would, and then Paul talks about mutuality in the bedroom. My body's not my own, my body's my wife's. My, my wife's body is, is not her own, it's mine as well. Mutuality between man and woman in the bedroom, which actually Christians have fought to... Uh, uh, most cultures pre-Christianity, uh, men use their sexuality as a form of power, uh, their, their desires, and, and or they could just kind of play out. They use marriage as a form of power. Uh, they could marry off their daughters, that kind of thing. Christianity came and radically changed that. And Me Too campaign was actually Christian values 
coming back onto the world that Christians have been fighting for for 2,000 years, I would argue. If you want to read more about that, uh, Dominion um, covers it very well. I forget my Tom Holland he is very, very good on that. So I just want to say that that's also love thy neighbor. And actually, as a man, that's a really important part of who we are and how we think. And actually, Jesus took it a step further. Even how you look at a woman, if you look lustfully at a woman, you are doing so with a sense of entitlement, um, which is a real challenge, if we're honest, to every man in this room. Love thy neighbor. Love thy female neighbor um, as well. Uh, okay, so I've told you a bit about home interaction. I've, I've, I've spoken a bit about love thy the neighbor, a bit about uh, me too. And I just want to tell you a story about mutuality, which really captures it for me, because mutuality is a sense that if we're all created equal, I sometimes can have a sense of inferiority when I meet someone. If they're rich and famous and powerful, which, you know, I will feel inferior to them quite often. Sometimes, I'm also true, I feel a sense of superiority over people I meet as well. And the challenge spiritually for us is to never feel any of those things. Um, We had a prayer meeting the other day online with a guy who was one of our tenants, and uh, he should never have been in one of our houses. He was too too high risk, all that sort of stuff. He'd been in prison multiple times, and we offered him a house anyway, and between offering him a house and him being released from jail, he came to faith. A dramatic experience with the Lord. And he's there praying 10 weeks later. He closes his meeting online in prayer, and he sits there. And I've never heard anyone pray like this before. And I've been a Christian 40 years this guy's not been a Christian 40 weeks yet, and he's teaching me how to pray. And what he says is, his body is one of submission. He speaks, there's no babbling. You know, Jesus said, don't babble like the pagans. He speaks in clipped sentences and just says, Lord, have mercy on us. Thank you that you have mercy on us. And he just goes on and on and on, different things. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Help us tomorrow. Help us get through the day. And I'm sitting there going, my goodness, this dude knows how to pray. I need to pray like him. It was so powerful. And I was like, yeah, God is teaching me how to pray through this guy. He's got something that I haven't got. I've got a lot of religion. I can spout a lot of verses, but he's got something I need to learn from. And God says he will speak to us through the poor. So when we engage with the poor, when we engage with the disinherited, actually, there's real power there. Their perspective, if we listen to people vastly different from us, we will grow our humanity. Our our love will grow in our hearts. And that is mutuality at its best. And after I had that prayer meeting with this dude, I thought, man, it reminded me of that parable Jesus told in Luke 18. So I looked it up again, and it said, Luke says, Jesus told this story to people who are very confident of their own righteousness very confident of their own righteousness. I'm going to confess now, the truth is, I am actually, subconsciously, I've done pretty well for God. That's what I'm thinking to myself. I've done a lot of church. I've done plenty of prayer. I've tithed. I've done some good works. That's storming it. No. I am in need of mercy. I am in need of mercy. And when I pray, when I get to the point in my heart that I understand my contrite heart, I need God's mercy and help to get me through today. Now I'm praying well. Does that make sense? When I get fooled into thinking I've got it sussed, then, uh, then I've lost something. And that is hope into action at its best. 
You know, that sense of that, we, we, that guy is so grateful to Hope into Action. He's really grateful because we've given a home, we've taken a chance on him. He said to him, you've treated me like a human being. You haven't just read my file. We treated him like a human being. And in engaging with him and in fellowship, I myself, the, you know, I should know about this stuff by now. I'm, uh, yeah, I, he, is, he is growing my spirituality too. So the church is rich when with the poor. The church is richer when with the poor. Does that all make sense? Let's see what the uh, next slide says. Uh, okay. Yeah, just to end on this. Just, uh, uh, I'm going to end on this, and then we're going to do uh, a quick verse to end on as well. Our vision, if you're interested, is can you, can you imagine a time where it's normal for a church to run a house for the homeless? That would be 30 years ago, we didn't have microphones. We had organs. 20 years ago, no one knew what Alpha was unless they studied Greek. And the fact that those two things now are commonplace in our, our culture of church gives us confidence that churches are dynamic and malleable, open to the waves of the Holy Spirit. Um, food bank wasn't around 10 years ago. It's now normal, right? It's kind of what we do. Um, and if you're interested, uh, by the end of 2025, next click, uh, we would hope to have 200 churches, 500 tenants, and each one, this is critical, every one of our, our tenants being loved by someone from the local church. Uh, that's what we're after. If you wanted to pray into that, great. But I'm also really aware there's loads of other really cool love your neighbor stuff you're doing. And it can also just be, you know, I'm called just to be better at neighbor to my actual neighbor, um, my Muslim neighbor who gave me iftar three times, this, uh, every, every, about five times every week. You, you know, actually, what do I do for them? Very little. Uh, that's also cool. So I'm not, uh, you've got to find out what God is calling you to. If you wanted to pray into this, support Nigel, support Laura, support Dominique in any way, uh, then you're very, very welcome. Whatever you sense God's calling you to, I'm going to end on this verse if I can. And I just felt God give it. I've never spoken on this verse before, but I just felt, I, I just felt it was relevant. So let's end on it. I can't read that. It's tiny. So I'm going to, thankfully, I'm pre-prepared. I've got it in my Bible. Therefore, uh, just to unpack the therefore a bit, just before this, Paul's gone off on one, and he said, how unsearchable his judgments, your wisdom and knowledge, the riches of God is incredible. He's just got lost in wonder at God, just been in praise. And then he says, therefore, I urge you. This is not diffident. This is not if you feel like it. This is urgent. Urgent. In view of all God's mercies, just spend a moment. You know, we're so, yeah, life's so hard and I've been offended by left and right and blah, 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 blah. No, that's one psychology. Yes, we need to fight for injustice, etc. But let's have the discipline of, in view of God's mercies. Let's just study our thumb. That is an amazing bit of kit. Hasn't let me down in 44 years. You, do you see what I mean? What about the era? There, what beautiful church. What great. There is so much to, that God has given us mercy for. So much. In view of God, spend time meditating on that. Once you realize that everything good comes from God, the food we're about to eat, everything, the joy of life, the hills around here. Um, therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Change doesn't happen around sacrifice. The structures, the systems that lead to poverty and injustice cannot be turned without sacrifice. It's through, not around sacrifice. 
And I myself can get sucked into this consumerist Christian culture. I just want a good bit of worship and a fantastic sermon. No, where is my sacrifice? Where is your sacrifice? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I was out with some very rich university friends. They're minted now. And it's like, oh, why don't I? Then I read in um, Jesus saying, John 15, you know, you shouldn't belong to this world. You shouldn't belong to this world. Reject the riches of this world. Sacrifice. Don't conform. You're either conforming to the world or to God. You're never going to be static. Your mind is either more worldly or it's getting more spiritual. You're constantly dynamic in that respect. Okay, now re-transform my mind, my heart, my attitudes, my values, my focus, my, what I want to live for towards what's important to you. Let me drop that. That was chasing after leisure. Um, then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. Um, I skip a verse now. Next click. And it says, rather think of yourself in sober judgment. Again, picking up this sense of mutuality. I can be very confident subconsciously in my own righteousness. Uh, no, 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 no. That's all, that's spiritually dead, isn't it? Think of myself in sober judgment. That gives me a sense of contrition. That gives me a sense of, okay, Lord, now we're in communion with him. And then I love this. So in Christ, next click, we are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Again, that sense of mutuality. As we love our neighbour, as we love people in this church, as we love people on our streets or whatever it is you're called to, remember we belong to each other. We are not superior to them in any way, shape or form. I'm going to end there. Uh, I'm just going to, if I can, uh, just pray. And I'm going to have a moment of quiet, and Jim, take over if you want to, but I didn't plan to do this. But a sense of, if anyone wants to say something, it's Pentecost Day, let's have the Spirit come down. And uh, let's pray. In view of your mercy, Lord, in view of your mercy, Lord, may we, not, may we think of ourselves in sober judgment. If we're feeling confident in our own righteousness, Lord, convict us that we need mercy. And if we're feeling dispossessed and disinherited today, Lord, may you remind us that you know every hair on our head. And it is a tremendous blessing to know that you love us. We have innate worth. May our sense of power and self come from the deep, feeling and knowledge that we are loved by the creator of the entire world. And with that, Lord, may we go out with sacrifice and power and joy to love our neighbors as ourselves. Bless this church. Bless Jim. Thank you for those that are committing to pray for Jim and Tim and everyone else. Bless them and may this church rise up by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give them signs and wonders and miracles. Uh, give them prophecies. May men, women, old people, young people all prophesy on this day. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.